You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, will you grab that and go with me to John's Gospel? John 15 is where we'll be. It's going to be a good day on the way to church this morning. My son said, Dad, what happens if you get up there on stage and you just forget everything? And I said, well, son, I don't usually think about that, but I'm thinking about it now. Thank you for that. (laughs) I guess you'll all just get out really early today, but hopefully that won't happen. John 15. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Merry Christmas. There are stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can take one now. You can take one on your way out today. Start reading that Bible and just see what happens. But that's our gift to you with no strings attached. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word? All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So listen carefully to God's Word. From John 15, 1 to 11, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be, to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things... These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In this series, we've been talking about the many pictures and promises that are all around us on the billboards, YouTube ads, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the mall, pretty much wherever you go, these pictures and promises of the good life that are seeking to draw us into the cultural depiction of the good life. But what we've been learning is that none of these things can actually provide that promised good life. Nothing, no one can provide the good life except Jesus himself, what Jesus calls the abundant life. And the reason Jesus is the only one who can provide that good life is because of who he is and who we are. We are created, designed to live in fellowship with God. Our hearts will be restless until they rest in God. But our hearts can't rest in God because we're broken. We're separated from Him because of our sin. And Jesus, the God-man, comes to restore everything that was broken in the very beginning. Jesus, the God-man, comes to save us. This is the way Athanasius put it. Athanasius, the 4th century church father, theology OG, in that little book on the incarnation that I gave out some copies of a few weeks ago, here's what he says. It was our sorry case 
that caused the word, Jesus, to come down. Our transgression that called out his love for us so that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. It was our sorry case. Jesus, the God-man, comes to bring God to man, man to God, to restore everything that was broken in the beginning. Now, last week, as we looked at John 14, we talked about some possible responses to this message, to the claim that Jesus is God. And we talked about one very unreasonable response and three more reasonable responses. Really, the one unreasonable response, the one thing that you can't say based on what Jesus claimed, is that he was merely a human teacher, a great human teacher, a moral man, you know, listen to him on some subjects and dismiss him on others. No, no, Jesus' claims were far too extreme for that. Far too extreme. You can't say he was merely a good teacher. We must say instead one of these three things. We must either reject him outright, crazy, he claimed to be God and obviously he wasn't, he was crazy, a madman, or we could continue researching him Continue asking your questions, continue reading the Bible, listening to preaching, watching other Christians, or we could receive him. Believe his claims. Believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. This is the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of the incarnation, that God comes to this world to save us. That God moves into our neighborhood. All for us. Jesus saves us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. You could believe that today. It really is that simple. Now that's where we ended things last week. The follow-up question we're going to ask today is, for those of us who have received Jesus, what's next? How do we live out this good, abundant life that Jesus provides us, we'll find our answer in John 15, in the seventh I am saying. For many weeks now, we've been looking at these seven I am sayings that we find in John's gospel. Seven times in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank with a metaphor that reveals something important about who Jesus is and what he comes to provide for us. And today we're looking at the final I am saying in John 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, the setting probably is what triggers this particular imagery. In John chapter 14, the passage we were in last week, the setting is the upper room. It's the Thursday before Jesus' crucifixion. So we're very close to the cross now in the flow of the narrative in John's gospel. It's Thursday. Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room. They celebrate together. Jesus washes their feet. He has a final meal with them and he instructs them, including that sixth I am saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. And at the end of John 14, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Presumably then, Jesus leads his disciples from the upper room across the city of Jerusalem toward the garden of Gethsemane where he will be betrayed. And somewhere along the way, Jesus spots something. Something that he believes will be the perfect illustration of some key points he needs to cover with his disciples before he leaves them. He sees a vine. And from this vine, he makes four important points. 
for those first disciples and for us today. He teaches us about removing and pruning, abiding and producing. We'll look at them in pairs. Removing, removing and pruning, abiding and producing. Now first, removing and pruning. Look at this. Here's how chapter 15 begins. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the first thing Jesus says here is, I am the true vine. Vines were everywhere in this region. The vine is a very common image in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the vine refers to Israel, God's covenant people. But interestingly, in the Old Testament, that imagery is always negative. It's always Israel, the vine that didn't produce. Israel, the vine that never did what it was called to do. Now Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true vine. Israel failed, but I am the one who will succeed. I am the one who will bring about the fruit. I am the true vine, Jesus says. And then notice what he says about God the Father and what is implied about us. It will be explicit later in the passage, but here it's just an implied comparison. We are branches. We are branches, and God the Father is the vine dresser or the gardener who works on two types of branches. We see them both in verse 2. Look carefully. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. God the Father takes away. Now the verb here means to remove. To remove. Apparently, there is a type of branch that God the Father removes. What does that mean? Jesus is teaching us that there's a type of branch that though it has contact with the vine, it does not have life-giving, fruit-bearing connection. Jesus is teaching us that there are people who though they have contact with him, they do not have a life-giving, fruit-bearing connection with him. They are dead wood. Life is not found in them. Spiritual life is not found in them. Never have they produced fruit. And so the Father removes them. Now we need to look no further than the disciples themselves to find an example of this. Judas. Think about Judas. He walked with Jesus for years. He heard Jesus' teaching He saw Jesus' miracles. He had physical contact with Jesus. But he did not have the life-giving, fruit-bearing connection. He was not rightly related to Jesus. John, the same writer who's writing here in John's Gospel, he wrote some letters that are in the back of the New Testament. In the first letter he wrote, 1 John, John warns us about imposters in the church. He says, certain people went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, there will be people who for a while seem interested in Jesus. They seem so very interested. And then something happens. Sometimes slowly, sometimes suddenly, 
they turn away. They reject Jesus' instruction. They reject Jesus' community, the church. They turn away. And though it's a hard truth, what Jesus is teaching here is that those people never had a life-giving, fruit-bearing connection. They were not rightly related to the vine. Their faith was not authentic. Because, friends, faith always shows itself. Where there is faith, there will be fruit. So that's the first type of Branch, the dead wood. Contact, proximity, no connection, no power. But there's a second type of branch. Look back at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, God the gardener prunes that it may bear more fruit. Those of us that have that life-giving, fruit-bearing connection to the vine... God prunes us. And this refers to the things that God does in our life to help us grow, to help us become even more beautiful, even more fruitful. Now, pruning sounds painful, though, doesn't it? And maybe it is, but it's always a good thing. We should be thankful for God's pruning of our lives. Sometimes He's reordering. Our affections, sometimes he's helping us reorganize our priorities. Sometimes he's removing influences or people from our lives that are hindering our spiritual productivity. But this is always our good and loving God, the heavenly gardener who is helping us grow. He is helping us produce, bear even more fruit. Now, in the rest of this passage, Jesus is going to elaborate on this idea of bearing even more fruit. He's going to tell us exactly how that happens in our lives, and he's going to give us an example of some of the fruits. So now, in the second part of the passage, let's think about abiding and producing. Abiding and producing. Verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So having established the fact that God the Father is the heavenly gardener, There's two types of branches. Now Jesus comes back to the central idea of this passage, that seventh I am saying, I am the vine. And he calls us to abide in him. In fact, he goes so far as to say, in two different ways in verse 5, he makes the point positively and then negatively, we can't do anything without him. He says it positively, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. And then negatively, he states it, apart from me, You can do nothing. Now, we need to hear that. That, if we let that sink deep into our hearts this morning, that will change the way we live. We need to hear this because as modern people, Americans, we think we are self-sufficient. Now, we don't care to admit it, but we do. At least we think we're self-sufficient when it comes to the common, ordinary, everyday things. We think things like this. Jesus, I can handle my marriage and my children most of the time. Ordinarily, 
Jesus, I don't really need you to intervene unless things go south. Or we say, Jesus, I can handle my job. I've got these gifts. I've got it covered. But Jesus, I need you to intervene if I lose my job. And then I would prefer that you intervene quickly and get me another job so that I can go back to doing my thing. But listen, friends, that's not what Jesus says in this verse. He doesn't say, apart from me, you can do some things. He doesn't say, apart from me, you'll accomplish just a little bit less. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John 15, apart from me, you can do no things. No things. See, you can't be the husband. You can't be the wife. You can't be the parent, the grandparent. You can't be the employer, the employee. You can't be any of those that you need to be, that you want to be without Jesus. Can't do it. You can't think about your job the way you need to think about your job without Jesus. You know why? Because you'll always live out of a place of either fear or pride. You will always have a fearful or a prideful approach to your work. For those of us prone to fear, we will always think, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough at my job. And for those of us that are prone to pride, we will always think, I'm the best. And I've got to do whatever it takes to maintain my top position. But you'll never have a gospel approach to your job to your work, to your vocation. You need Jesus to work well. You need Jesus to parent well, to husband or wife well. Whatever it is, you need him. Jesus doesn't say, apart from me, you can do some things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we must abide in him. This is the secret to living that good, abundant life, abiding in Jesus. What then does that mean? If this is the secret, if this is what we need, then we must understand it. What does it mean to abide in him? That word abide is used 10 times in 11 verses here. It must be important. Jesus wants us to get this. Depending on your translation, if you're using the NIV, it may have remo- uh, remain, remain in him. But the idea, in essence, is this. Abiding is believing, but it's more than that. It's living in union with Jesus. Living in union with him, sharing in his power, his thoughts, his emotions and intentions. And this type of living, sharing, it involves choosing, making decisions. We must choose to do things that expose us to Jesus' heart and ways. In the same way that a married couple chooses to prioritize their marriage, they make decisions to prioritize that marriage, to to spend time with each other, to nurture their relationship. We, Christians, believers, we must make decisions that will nurture our communion with Jesus. So here's what we need. We need rhythms. Rhythms. I've been thinking a lot about that word lately. Think with me for just a minute, will you? Rhythms. The chaos of the last couple of years, I think it has had a profound effect on us in many ways. Here's one. I think many of us have lost some healthy rhythms that we once had. And we have gained some unhealthy rhythms. Let me give you a few examples. Some of us who used to check the news once a day 
Now we check it once an hour. Some of us who previously sort of dabbled with social media, checked it, you know, sporadically, now we check it obsessively. Some of us who previously had one drink at night, now we have two or three. We have these new unhealthy rhythms, and simultaneously, we've lost some of our healthiest rhythms. Some of us who previously were in God's Word every day, we were in worship every Sunday, now we come to worship once, maybe twice a month. Depends on how we're feeling, how things are looking out there in the world, what our travel schedule looks like. Our rhythms have changed. If we're honest with ourselves, if we look, I think we'll see this. Our rhythms have changed. So friend, brother, sister, listen to me. Because I love you, I'm calling you back to the rhythms you once knew. I'm calling you back. I'm calling you to abide in Jesus. To sit with him. Listen to him. Talk to him. Spend time in his word. Gather with some friends, some close friends in the context of a small group and pray and open the Bible. Gather with the family of God for worship to sing and to celebrate, to pray and to hear the preaching of the word. These are rhythms we need. Because look, if you're like my family, you're still going to the grocery store every week. That's a rhythm. Maybe you're even still going to the mall. Remember what we've learned in this series. The culture will do everything it can to draw us into its depiction of the good life. We fight rhythm with rhythm. Remember that. We fight rhythm with rhythm. If you're going to the grocery store every week, if you're on social media every day, and if you're not in worship every week, and you're not in God's Word every day, friend, you will be drawn into the cultural depiction of the good life. You will be drawn into those pictures and promises that will not satisfy your heart. We fight rhythm with rhythm. That's how we abide in Jesus. And what happens when we abide? What are some of the fruits, what are some of the good things that we will see happen in our hearts and in our lives when we abide in him? That's where Jesus goes in closing. Look at this. He gives us three specific examples, results of abiding in him. The first thing we can expect to see happen is his words will shape our wishes. His words will shape our wishes. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's a promise, isn't it? Wow. Have you ever found yourself praying, praying and praying and praying for something and never receiving the answer you wish? Now, why is that? What happens in those cases? Is it, is it that you're not praying hard enough? Is it that God doesn't hear or, or answer your prayer? Well, it's not that. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. God is not like your, your iPhone. He doesn't have a do not disturb option. God always hears your prayers, and he always responds to your prayers. Sometimes, in his infinite wisdom and goodness, he doesn't give us what we ask for because he knows a better plan. Or we could say it like this. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew as much as he does. 
God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew as much as he does. But here's what Jesus is teaching us here. When we abide in Jesus and Jesus' words abide in us, it actually changes our affections. It changes our desires. It changes our wishes. And one of the wonderful things that begins to happen is we begin to long for the same things that God himself longs for. We wish for what he wishes for. Our wishes are in accordance with his will. And so Jesus can say, ask whatever you wish, because our wishes will be in accordance with his will, and therefore it will be done for you. Prayer changes our hearts. Jesus changes our hearts. This is one of the things we can expect to see when we abide in him. Now, there are two more. They're just as good. Here's the second one. His ways lead us to love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. In a world where this word love is used so much that it means very little, Jesus talks about a very specific type of love. It's divine love. Do you see that in the text? He calls it my love. It belongs to him. And he shows us exactly what it looks like. As the Father has loved him, so he loves us. What is the love that Jesus shows us? It's a sacrificial, self-giving love. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis calls it gift love. Gift love. And that's different from what Lewis calls need love. Need love, it always arises out of some form of loneliness or needfulness in us. So the little girl, she runs and she jumps in her mother's arms. Why? Because she's alone and she's afraid and she knows her mother can meet that need, can protect her, can provide. Now, need love is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing, but it's a lower love, a lesser love. The highest love is gift love. God's love is gift love. He loves us not because he needs something from us, God is not lonely. He's not needful. He needs nothing. God loves you simply out of his plenteousness, his abundance. He loves you. He loves me. His love will never change. Now, that's the love that we are led into as we abide in Jesus. So you see what this means? It means that if your marriage is in trouble, it means that if your relationship with your children or your relationship with your parents never has been worse, the thing you need most is to abide in Jesus. That's the thing you need most. Because when you abide in Jesus, this sacrificial, self-giving, gift love, Jesus not only shows it to you, he supplies it. He supplies it for you. You will be able to love people in a new way as Jesus himself loves One more last thing. The last thing we can expect to see from this passage when we abide in Jesus is that his joy becomes ours. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, just like the love, my love, my joy belongs to him. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, some of you feel joyless because you've been looking in all the wrong places trying to find it. And Jesus says, it's my joy. We don't find joy 
in the world. We find joy in Jesus, and Jesus comes to the world to bring the joy to the world. You see? You can't have joy without Jesus, Jesus without joy. They go together. It's His joy. And when you abide in Him, you will experience a deep and ever-present joy. Something that transcends your circumstances. Something that allows you to get through the darkest times in life. It's the joy of Jesus Himself. Abiding. It's believing, yeah. But it's more than that. It's living in union with Jesus. Sharing His power, His thoughts, His emotions, His intentions. Now here's how I want to close. What if... What if I haven't been abiding? What if, over the last couple of years, I have developed some really unhealthy rhythms? And what if I've lost many of my healthy rhythms? What now? As we prepare to shift into communion, I want to give you one little verse from the New Testament. And I hope this speaks volumes to your heart the way it does to mine. One little verse. Here's what it says. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, man. Don't you just feel that right here? I do. If we are faithless, unfaithful, disloyal, get everything wrong... He remains faithful. See, his love for you, it never changes. If you haven't been abiding in him, what should you do today? Let's confess our sins together. Let's confess those those unhealthy rhythms. Let's confess that we haven't been pursuing Jesus and therefore we haven't been loving our families well or our neighbors well or our enemies well. Let's confess together. And Jesus is standing there, arms wide open. Just run to him. This is the beauty of the gospel. His love for you never changes. Run to him, commune with him, and abide. Abide in him. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Oh, we come to you so humbly this day. Asking for your forgiveness. You teach us in this passage that apart from you, we can do nothing. But the truth is, we try to live apart from you most every day. We think we can handle our families, we think we can handle our jobs. Sometimes we even think we can handle our problems. Forgive us, Lord, for our self-sufficiency, our pride. That's all it is. Many of us, over the last few years especially, we've fallen into some bad habits. We're doing things now that, looking back two years ago, we weren't doing drinking too much 
thought life. It's a mess. We also realize that some of the healthy habits we once had have just gone missing. The world's changed a lot. We changed with it in some unhealthy ways. Lord Jesus, forgive us. We love you because you first loved us. We want to abide in you. We need your help. Ours is the branch life. The branch life. Apart from the vine, we can do nothing. Apart from the vine, we are powerless. We need you. Forgive us for our failures and thank you for your life, death, and resurrection that covers our sin deals with it for good and all. Thank you for the promise that when we confess our sins like this openly, holding nothing back, not hiding, when we confess like this, you always forgive us. You see us all the way to the bottom. Know us all the way to the bottom. Forgive us all the way to the bottom. It's this wonderful truth that we celebrate as we come to your table today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You came in, I hope you grabbed those communion elements. And like I said earlier, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer, we invite you to celebrate communion with us. If you're with us today and you're not yet a believer, you're sort of in that researching phase, we just want you to know that we love you and we're so glad you're here. You're always welcome at Faith Church. And we just invite you to observe this part of the service that we believe is a time for believers to celebrate the gospel. On the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. For the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Church, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Celebrate communion with us. And we're going to sing a song here in just a second. It's going to echo those very same words that you just saw in 2 Timothy. Even when we are faithless, even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Let's celebrate that together.